good to see you, Jimmy. We were just talking about you. In good ways. In good ways. Hey, but I, like I said, I'm so glad you guys are here tonight because I have thoroughly enjoyed this series, and, and I continue to enjoy it. I really like, um, a lot of times we'll, we'll pick out stuff because of, of just time constraints and, and everything. I'll pick out stuff, and um, a lot of people, they've done the work already and everything. And I made a commitment this year. It says I really just want to dive into, like, just let's go verse for verse and verse and, and go through the scripture and stuff. And so I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I, I don't know about you, um, and you, you can tell me after tonight, um, but because um, I love the church. I, I just really do. Every, every day I feel so blessed to be able to, that I, I get to get up and think about this church and, and God's church and like, Father, what, what does he want us to do? And, and the ability to come together, whether it's, it's seven of us or it's 7,000 of us, that we can come together and just um, like share in life. In fact, it's one of my favorite verses when Paul says, um, we loved you so much we shared not only the gospel, but our lives as well. I love that Paul, probably the greatest church planner ever, you know, the guy that wrote most of the Testament says not only the gospel, but but it's about sharing our lives. And that's what we get to do at church. We get to share the good and we get to share the bad and, and we get to be in this community that's unlike any other organism that's on this planet. I mean, I just I don't think if we're doing it right, there's nothing like the church. And, and so I love the church. and I love that we've been able to go through. Um, these churches and, and see the good stuff and the things that we need to be on guard for. And so um, tonight I'm excited about Sardis. In fact, of all the churches, um, man, this one I, I really am enjoying because this one really struck a chord um, with me this week. But I just want to remind you also um, where we're talking about. And I know I show this to everybody, but I just uh, think it's important that we understand this is modern-day Turkey. Um, and, and these seven churches, this circle of churches. Now, now there are other churches in there, but these are the main cities and everything. And we've, we've talked about Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamum and Thyatira. And so tonight we're in Sardis, and we have two more um, to go after this. But I just think Sardis is really, there's some unique stuff about Sardis that we don't see in any of the other churches and things that we specially need to look for. So if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and open it up to Revelations chapter 3 after four weeks we got through an entire chapter of Revelation. Isn't that nice? Um, <coughs> but we're, we're going to be looking at the Church of Sardis tonight. If you don't have Bibles, we have them available. Take one of those. If you don't own one, you can sign in to our um, Wi-Fi and do that. But um, I, I know there's only a few of us, but I still believe this is the only words that matter. These are the most important words that are going to be said tonight. It's the only reason I get to preach or stand here. Um, it's the only reason we get to be a church is on the authority of those words. And so I'm just going to ask you if you'll stand with me um, as we read um, in Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 1, John writes this. He says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard and Keep it and repent it. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. 
I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. God, I thank you again for just allowing us to come together tonight to gather. God, in your presence, God, I think that we never, ever have to ask for you to join us. God, that you are here waiting for us, um, Father, and that um, let these be your words, not mine tonight. God, speak to us. Overwhelm us with your grace and your mercy and your love. But God, also your holiness and your righteousness. Overwhelm us. God, that we would be changed. We would be conformed. So God, I just ask tonight again that these words would be your words. God, that you would have your way. God, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to respond. God, and the courage to live outside these walls in a way that always points and brings you glory. God, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I try a lot when we're going through this, just talk about, like, give you a little background of each of these areas and these churches. And so, like I said, Sardis, to me, it's really an interesting place. Um, Sardis actually was at the junction of five roads. It overlooked a valley, and five major trade roads kind of all came at Sardis right there. And so it was always considered a very, very wealthy city. Um, I mean, it just was easy for people to make money there. And so it, it was wealthy. It was very commercial, a lot of trade routes. It was an optimum location. Um, it was sat up on top of a hill that was kind of a steep hill. And so people thought, well, this is an impregnable city. This is like the perfect city. It's a great city and everything. And so things weren't that bad at Sardis. But the problem is, is Sardis was also known as a lazy city. Um, and, and it shows with the idea that Sardis, like I said, it's up on this hill and there's steep embankments. And so it was a tough city to reach. And yet Sardis was conquered twice. Once by Darius and another one by Antiochus. And both times their historians and their writings said that they scaled that steep hill, climbed the walls, and they found no one on guard duty. See, because Sardis thought, like, we're impregnable, and thus they were conquered twice. And, and so it, it was a lazy city, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that because I think that bled, the culture bled a lot into the church uh, of what was going on. But there's also something interesting, also, out of all these churches that we've mentioned, we always read about there's some kind of persecution going on for the Christians. Yet with Sardis... It doesn't say anything about persecution. You, you don't hear about like you being tried and, and standing true and doing all this stuff or, or them coming against you. There, there's no mention of that. In fact, Sardis is the only church that really, really, it doesn't deal with that. And we will talk about that, too, because I think there's a very specific reason why. So that's Sardis, this rich city, this wonderful city, kind of, you know, Orlando, everyone wanted to go. The church is in the middle of it, and yet this is the church where there's not even anything good that Jesus says about it, that immediately he goes to what's wrong with it. And so we, uh, we start kind of again with the greeting. I, I love that Jesus, every, t every one of these churches, Jesus greets the church. And if you look at verse 1, again, it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Pretty simple pretty straightforward right there um all the others you know the churches that we've already looked at it's you know in smyrna the words of the first and the last who died and came to life 
Thyatira, the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like flame and fire. And so there's very descriptive. But with Sardis, it's just really straight to the point. And, and the point is, is that when we look at that greeting, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars, it's kind of a tie back to Revelation 1. If you were here weeks ago when we just really introduced this, that this is who John saw. When he turned around, he saw the one standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands, and, and his eyes were like white, like wool, like snow, or his, the hairs of his head. I mean, it's just really, but it ties back to, back to Revelation 1. Basically, all it's saying is that this is Jesus, and it's still about Jesus. See, I think the problem with some of our churches is that we've not made it about Jesus anymore. If you show up to a church and you don't hear that name, I would suggest to you, get up, leave, and go find another church. Because the church has always been and will always be about Jesus. He has always been the head. He has always been the shepherd. He will always be the head. He will always be the shepherd. And the church is always about Jesus. And so with Sardis, he's not like, it's not fancy language. He says the words of him who has the seven spirits. By the way, that word who has a better translation would actually be is who is in control of the seven spirits, of the seven stars. Who's in control of the church? If it is God's church, Jesus is the head. And he makes sure there is no doubt, like, this is, who I'm, this is who's supposed to be in charge. All, all the other churches, it's kind of fancy, and it's, it's kind of pretty, and, and there's kind of beautiful kind of symbolism and all this stuff. And there he's like, this is who start, I st I'm the one that started this book. I'm the one that's in charge. And if you were involved in a church that Jesus is in the center of it, I'm sorry, it is no longer a church. And unfortunately, I feel that there's so many churches that have become so socially conscious that they left Jesus out. Now, hear me when I say that. I believe with all my heart that the church, if the church was doing the job that it was supposed to be doing, the poor would be taken care of. The widows would be taken care of. The orphans, would, there would be no orphans. It's a shame, and it's a blight upon the church that there are orphans. When there are more people that can profess to follow Jesus, three, four, five times as more than there are orphans. And so if the church is doing its job, we should be looking out for poor. We should be serving others. But if we don't attach Jesus to that, we're just a social experiment. And so it is always about Jesus, and it was still about Jesus. But, but in Sardis, there's a few problems here. Now, I don't know if you guys like zombies, if, if you're fans of, like, you know, The Walking Dead and stuff. We have people like that in the church that love that stuff and stuff. The other name for Sardis is City of the Living Dead, literally the zombie town uh, uh, of the ancient church. Look at Revelation. Go to verse 1 and 2 again. Listen to this. It says, And to the angels... Of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. This is a church, this is a people that think like, man, we're doing great, we're alive, and, and everything on the outside might look at them, and Jesus is saying, no, there's no life in you whatsoever. Remember I told you that there's no mention of persecution here? There's no mention of persecution because I believe Sardis was a church not doing anything worth being persecuted for. 
which means they just fit in. They were not a threat to any system at all. Here, here's Sardis, a great Roman city. You have all the Romans. You still have that. You have the worship, the false worship. You have the Jews that are there. You have all this, and then you have a church. And yet out of all the churches, all the seven churches mentioned in Revelation, there's no persecution mentioned, which really tells me the fact that, you know what? They're not doing anything that's bringing notice to themselves. That's sad. Listen, I'm not, I'm not asking you to like go out and stir up problems so that like you get beat down and everything, but if your life doesn't look different, no one's going to care. But when we stand upon God's truth, when we stand upon the way that God has asked us to live and, and don't bend on that, I promise you there's going to be opposition to that. We live in a fallen world. Darkness hates light. And so Sardis didn't have anything going on. I remember years ago, I took, I took students to um, Romania. We took a mission trip to Romania. And, and I love it. And if you don't know a lot about Romania, Romania was probably the worst, um, harshest communist dictatorship in all the old Eastern Bloc. They had a guy named Ceausescu, who was the, he was the dictator for Romania. He was a horrible, evil man. I mean, uh, there are pastors in prison, churches were burned and everything. In fact, he made a law that said you had to have children. And you had to keep having children, keep pumping children out and keep having children. Because his goal was to have the largest army in the world. And to this day, if you go to Romania, there's an entire culture of street kids. Because their parents couldn't afford to feed them and do anything, and so they put them out on the road. So there's an entire culture of homeless kids based on this. And so that, that's where we went. So we went in after Ceausescu and, and the wall had fallen and everything. We took students in. I remember we went to a Romanian church. And, and the pastor, was a, he was the one that he was imprisoned. And then he was kicked out of the country and exiled for a while. And he came back to his church and everything. And so when we show up, he asked me to get up and speak and share what we were doing. And it was amazing. And it was beautiful. And at the end of it, I got to sit with the pastor for a little bit and say, you know, pastor, how can we pray for you? I mean, we're here to help. What can we do? I know, like, your resources and everything and the economy shot here. What can we do to help your church and do that? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. <coughs> Don't pray for us. We're, we're good. I just want you to know I pray for you. And as an American pastor, I'm sitting there going, like, awesome, but, you know, we got tools. We got wood. We got resources. We can build you a playground. What, 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 I mean, why are you praying for us? He's like, you don't understand. I said, we have faced persecution. We have faced trials in here. But I pray for my American brothers and sisters because they have become lazy. Because no one knows you're a church anymore. And that broke my heart. See, that, that, was, that was Sardis. Sardis, the church in Sardis, no one cared. Listen, I, I believe that we go through trials and tribulations for a couple of reasons. I think one is because we're in disobedience to God. When we don't do things God's way, things are not going to go well. But the other reason is we are doing things God's way. And God uses those things to teach us perseverance and teach us faith and everything. But we are going to face those things because we're standing on truth. And if your life, there's like no issue whatsoever. And again, I believe God gives us moments of like peace and joy and up that mountaintop experience and everything. But I feel we are in a broken world. And if you're not facing any opposition because of your faith, 
I want to talk to you about what kind of faith you have. I want to know if anybody's noticing that you're a Christian. Would you be announced guilty in a court of law for being a Christian? Is there enough evidence against you? Because apparently in Sardis, there was not. And nobody cared about him. See, I, I, I think Sardis, they forgot why Jesus even came in, in the first place. They, they, they forgot what that is. It's one of my favorite verses in John 10, 10. It says, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If you have King James, it says more abundantly. It's where we get our little tagline. That we believe that li- there's more to life than just kind of going through the motions. And I think there are only two types of people that live in this world. Come on in. Hi, come on in. We just got started. We're in Revelation chapter 3. But I, I just, I really believe there's, there's really only two types of people on this planet. Hi, come on in. We're in Revelation chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have them available for you. If you have, like, electronic device and you like that, we have a Wi-Fi here that you can sign in. It says GBC Guest. But um, we're talking about the Church of Sardis tonight. So, um, again, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So there's two types of people. There are those that are living, and then there are those that are dead. Outside of Christ, there is is no life. I I believe that with all my heart. In fact, we live in the walking dead all the time. The problem is is most of the people don't know that. See, I think Sardis didn't know. It it says you, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Christ came to give us life, and for whatever reason, Sardis didn't have that there was they, there was no difference in them when, when people looked there was no reason to persecute them because they weren't doing anything anything I, it's my heart that we are a people that that are alive not not only that but look look at verse two again it says wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for i have not found your works complete in the sight of my god it, it's this idea that um there was an incomplete job done. It, it was incomplete that somewhere along the line, this church in Sardis, if it became a church, if it is a church, it had to at some point know Jesus. <laughs> like that's how a church starts. It's the only way a church starts. Like I said, it's always about Jesus. And so it's like they came up, maybe they, they came forward at some revival meeting. They said a prayer and stuff. Billy Graham was there. It was really exciting. It was awesome. Uh, but then they never moved on from that. It's like they never, ever grew up. In fact, that phrase, wake up, says be w- actually means be watchful. Watch out for this because you, the, you're not finishing what was starting you. You're not, not moving forward. And it's interesting to me that at every place in life, we look for growth. If my 27-year-old daughter never learned to speak, walk, or is still wearing a diaper, I would probably sit back right now and say, I think there's something wrong. We expect that there's growth in everything, that, in every facet of our life. We expect that like, if you get a job and, and you're working, you choose a career, that you're going to work in that and you're going to improve yourself and maybe move up the ladder and do all that stuff. That There's going to be growth that's going to change. Why don't we put that same standard to our faith? Why are we okay with, like, I said a prayer sometime, 
and that's good enough for me. But, but from the moment that we started, we understand that we had a need for Christ, we, that we understood that we needed a Savior, and we came to that relationship, we should be different. If, if you can't look back and say, like, I'm more like Jesus this year than I was last year, then there's an issue, there's a problem. I, I think we need to grow up. I, in fact, I think um, this is what Paul was talking about. In, in, um, in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I came, became a man, I gave up childish ways. Unfortunately, I think there's so many people walking around in, in our churches and stuff and just saying, but they're still babies. And, and they're not growing. And, and this is sorry. They started, somehow they started right. But then they never moved on from there. I'm telling you, I believe this all my heart that this is why so many people are just finally saying, you know, I never really knew Jesus, so I'm just going to walk away from the church anyway. Because it's got to be frustrating. We're supposed to grow, and we're supposed to grow up. Sometimes. So, so what does it look like to be a fully alive church, what what is what's the opposite uh, of all this? Look, look at verse three in Revelation three, verse three. Jesus says, "Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you." I, I love that Jesus starts with the idea of just remembering. I think the people in Sardis, the church in Sardis, forgot the gospel and what it meant to them. I think they forgot that moment when it became real. They, they forgot that moment when they realized, man, I have a need for a Savior, and there is one there. There's someone that loves me enough that took my issues. I can't fix my own problems. And, and I think they, they forgot that. And I love Jesus, the very first thing is like, remember I like that Jesus uses that phrase a lot when he gave us the last supper, the Lord's Supper, and he says, when you do this, remember. I mean, there's a reason for us uh, behind those brown curtains is a prayer and communion is always available because I want people to remember that moment. I want them to remember that time when, when God showed up and he became so real to you that it makes, it's like, this makes sense. I understand this. I know this. We do it corporately and we celebrate it corporately, but I want people always to remember that moment and I, got, I have to ask you, I asked the church this morning, you know, do you remember? Do you remember a moment when God was so real to you? I can. I remember, it's crazy, but I remember being five years old and a gentleman coming up to me in some children's tent revival and asking me, do I want to meet Jesus? And at five years old saying, yes, I do. Didn't fully understand it, didn't understand completely, but I knew at that moment I met Jesus. At five years old, I remember sitting in high school um, not so many years ago, but longer than I'd imagined. Um, but I remember sitting there and listening to a guy named Jay Strack, who's a pastor still today. He's here. He runs a ministry. He used to talk to high school students and sit there going, 
I think God's calling me into ministry. I was like 16 years old. I think God's calling me ministry. And then I remember running from that for years later saying, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want to because you're going to send me to like Africa or someplace or in some jungle and it's bad for my skin. I don't want to go there. But then I remember after running from that, the night that God showed up in my life, two years into college, just blowing everything and wasting my life. And God's saying, are you ready now? And I remember that moment when God reached down. I remember the moment I saw my wife for the first time and, and met her and said, this is the woman that I'm going to marry and live a life because she has the same passion for me for ministry and she wants to go travel the world and do ministry. I remember, I remember looking at my mom and saying, God has called us overseas to ministry and I know you don't want me to leave, but I'm taking your grandkids. We're going over there. We'll come back, I promise, someday, but we are going over there right now. And I remember those times. Do you remember a time when God was real? Because I want to say, if you don't, please talk to me tonight and let today be that day. God gives us those moments to remember what the gospel means to me and to you. So we, we remember. I, I've come from death to life. Do you remember that moment or that time when God just became real? And so when we remember that, then then we can start being the church. Then we can start moving up. And, and so I think there's a couple of things, what it means to be church. And remember, um, when I say the church, I am not talking about these walls. It is the people. It is nowhere in the Bible that it says the church is a building. It is always his people and always come together. And so what does that look like to be a fully alive people? And so the very first thing is, man, we show up. We show up. We show up to be together with God's family and God's people. We show up and be a part of this. And when I say show up, it doesn't mean just come, take a seat, sing some songs, and then leave. I mean that we are actively engaged, that we are actively involved, and, and we come. In fact, I think this is what um, the early church said in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Listen what it says for the early church, the first church. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You hear that word devoted? It became a priority to them to show up, to be, to gather together. Unfortunately, I think it is so sad to me that church has become the first thing that we say, we can miss that. It's okay if we miss that. And I'm not saying that just as a pastor. I'm saying that I spent 30 years in youth ministry, and, I, and, and I've taken kids and been with kids all over the planet, and, and I've seen this over and over again. And when it's not a priority to us, it doesn't become a priority to them. I remember a young man, and God's hand was on this kid. He was amazing. He was so talented, and you could tell that God's call was on his life, and he was saying, man, I want to be a youth pastor. I, I feel like God's calling me into ministry, and I was pouring into him. And we had a trip to Ecuador. I was like, brother, I just, everything in me tells me, God's saying, you need to go on this trip. This is going to be a life-changing trip for you. This, there's just something about this trip that you need to go. And we, will, we will get you there. And he worked hard, and he did all the prep, and he raised the money. And then a week before we left, his dad looked at him and says, hey, by the way, that week you're going on a mission trip, there's a soccer camp, and there's going to be college scouts there. And so that young man came to me and says, I can't go to the mission trip. And I looked at him with just a heart and said, 
I, you, you don't want to miss this. I, I, listen, I, I know that's a hard choice, and you, you're thinking about choosing, but I think God will honor if you're going to be faithful to your original commitment. And, and you got to do it. He's like, no, I, I got to go to college. This is how I'm going to get to college. His parents called me, cussed me out over the phone because I was telling this kid all this stuff. We went to Ecuador. We came back. That kid is still not in church today. He left everything. Listen, if you're a parent, you're a grandparent, get your kids in church. And then you be there also. We, we've got to show up. We, we have to be active in that. We, we, we've got to come together and make it a priority. I love that. It says, you know, they were devoted. They were devoted to the opening of God's word together and, and the teaching. They were devoted to fellowship and hanging out. And say, that's sharing life with one another. No one else is going to understand what you're going through except another follower because either they've been through it or they're about to go through it. And we gain strength on that. We should break bread. I mean, that's that's one of the Baptist like main. You know, we have we have baptism, we have communion and we have potluck. I mean, that's that's the Baptist top three right there. But, man, it's important to like break bread and and the prayers of each other. You've got to show up. I don't think in Sardis they were showing. I think they came and it was like, okay, I went to church, check, I'm done. Let, let's get out of here. And I just feel like so many times that's what we've made made church to be. We, we, we've got to show up. And when we show up, man, we get to proclaim. We, we, we proclaim. All, all that means is that we get to worship. And, and one of the reasons I love the way we're doing Sunday nights, I'm going to fall off this chair. Um. That would be a great, that's why we don't videotape Saturday nights, <laughs> Sunday nights. But we, we get to proclaim, we get to proclaim all that God has done with us, not only in here, but out there. See, and I've said this before, and I will keep saying this until everybody gets this, that we cannot be the church in here if we're not the church out there. If the only time you worship God is when you're here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, then you are not worshiping God. It is a lifestyle. It is everything. I, want, I love Sunday nights that, you know, we don't always have music because I think that's what we've made, you know, worship. It's like I sing songs. That's the worship time now, the preaching. No, worship is the way I live my life. Worship is in everything proclaiming the goodness and the greatness of God in everything I do. And it is more applicable outside these walls than it ever is inside these walls. Man, we are called to proclaim. And when we are doing that, man, we're alive. We're a church. In fact, that's what it says in First um, Peter 2, 9 and 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but you have received mercy. We have so much to shout about. I was dead, now I'm alive. I was blind, now I see what amazing grace lives in me. We have things to shout about, and if the only place we're shouting it is in here, we have missed the point. They can't hear us from inside this building. And we are called to proclaim, to, to, to shout it out. As a church, to be fully alive, 
We show up. We make church gathering with God's people a priority. I'm so thankful for our vacation. Like, I, I love all our people, but I just, I get pumped when I see someone that's only here for like a weekend that says, well, we found your church online and we showed up, you know. I don't know if we'll ever see them again. But that's exciting to me that someone says, no, this is a priority. We're going to go to church. I've got Disney tickets, but we're going to go to church, you know. That's exciting to me because that's what it should be. We, we show up, we, we're excited, and then we go out because we're filled. You know, I, I've said this, we never pray, God, please show up, be with us. Let your presence be with us and, and come and join us because it's his church, so he's already here. We don't have to do that. And all we have to do is pay attention long enough to see God just penetrate our hearts and change us a little bit. We should be different when we walk out. Yeah, we should proclaim. But then finally, we not only show up, we proclaim, but then we go. Listen, a church that is not on mission, a church that is not about spreading his kingdom, not, not our kingdom. I don't care how big and how famous Grace Baptist gets or, or Tony Heaven or any of that stuff. That's not important, but if God's kingdom grows and we can send out missions to, to our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world and be a part of that, and if we're not about going out and spreading the gospel, we are not allowed to call ourselves a church. If we are not about going to serve and meet the needs of people and attach the gospel to that, we cannot call ourselves a church. See, I believe the church is the hope of the world. We carry Christ with us wherever we go. I think this is why you can, you can go to church here. You can go to church in England. You can go to church in Romania. You can go to church in Ecuador. You can go to church anywhere in the place, and you can show up, and you're still part of the same family because it's God's kingdom. But we are commanded to go to live this faith and this life outside of these walls. And there are so many churches that are dwindling and dying down because all they care about is what's happening inside. Let's have our holy huddle and make our holy bubble and hopefully nothing from the outside can get in. It's not a church. It's not even a Bible study because I don't know what verses you're reading. We go, and in fact, that's how Jesus left us. It's the Great Commission. It's his command. Matthew 28, 19, go, therefore. Listen to those imperatives. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and the holy spirit i love that jesus says go go don't stay inside go go and do what make disciples i think one of the problems is we have sat there and we said here's evangelism here's discipleship they're two different things this may be your gifting evangelism and you may be a discipler you can't separate the two they're two sides of the same coin Someone can't be a disciple if they don't hear the gospel first. <laughs> and so you, you may say, well, my gifting is not sharing the gospel. That's not my gifting. I don't care. It's your commandment. <laughs> Worst thing we did in the church is come up with, like, gift testings and put evangelism on there. <laughs> because there were so many people came and said, look, I scored really low on evangelism. I don't have to do it. That's not what this says. <laughs> this says still Go. Make disciples, go share the gospel, go out and, and share and, and introduce them to Christ. Let God do his work in them and then walk with them and grow with them. See them become more like Christ. And then baptize them. All baptism is in this state is just the idea of like, hey, we want to get you into the family. 
Come and be a part of our family so that you can go and be a part of what we're doing. And so we are, we are commanded, yes, we, we've got to show up and we, we, we proclaim and we have to go. Any church that's not outward focused, ain't a church. And I promise you it's not worth your time. Because it is about his kingdom, not mine. I would love to see this church hundreds, thousands of people. I'd love, because that just means I can send more people. And we can just do more stuff. But my Bible shows me 12 disciples. One of them betrayed him and hung himself. Another one denied him and everything. And so there was 11 left. And with 11 people, he turned the world upside down. You know, today with you guys, we had 40 people in church. If Jesus did that with 11, what would he do with 40? But we, we have to go. We have to go. But, but there, there's another issue in Sardis. It's this idea of being all in. Look, look at verse 4 through 6. Verse 4, he says, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's interesting to me that all the other churches, it was the minority causing the problem. It's like I had this against you, and there's this group in your church. In Sardis, it's like the minority are the people that are actually doing it right. Have you ever heard the 80-20 rule? 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Unfortunately, a lot of churches, it's become more like the 90-10 rule. <laughs> 90% of the work is done by like 10% of the people. That's not a church. <laughs> See, I believe with all my heart that everyone has a job. <laughs> everyone has a role in a church. They, that for whatever reason God brings you to a church, there's, there's a place for you to serve. There's a place for you to minister. There's something that you can do. There are gifts that you have. There are talents that you have that no one else has that is specially suited for you, that you can be a blessing to that community and to the surrounding community when you live out that job. There are too many people showing up to church just sitting in a chair somewhere and saying, but we pay the pastor to do that. Or in my Bible, you pay the pastor to equip the saints to do the work. It's the idea that we all have a job, we all have a role, and so wherever you're at, whatever church you belong to, whatever, whatever place you have placed yourself, there's a reason you're there and you have a job there. And I don't care if you're five years old or 90 years old, you have a job. We, we live in Florida. This is the retirement kingdom. I mean, we, that's one of the largest growing um, demographics in our area is the retirement. There's a lot of people coming down here. No wonder. It's, it's horribly cold where you guys live. Who would want to live up there? That's, that's, I mean, you guys said it froze, so we had to close to it. It hits 40 degrees, and I'm contemplating canceling church here. Because <laughs> I'm a Florida boy. I'm like, this just isn't right to be out and so we've got it, people. But can I tell you, I've said this before, the only retirement mentioned in the Bible is absent from the body present with the Lord. As long as there is breath in your lungs, you have a job. And we have got to get all in. And if you don't know what that role is, if you come to this church and you're part of it, whether you're part-time or full-time, says, I know God's brought me here, there's a reason, and you're like, but I don't know where I fit in, then come to me. Let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. Let's try things. Let's do things. 
You know, whether whether it's a child, a student, a parent, a senior adult, it doesn't matter. Everyone has a role, and it makes even more sense in a small church. It's even more prevalent in a small church. Listen, I pray one day that we grow and we can hire more staff, that we hire more pastors to move more stuff. And I believe God is going to bless that, and we are going to grow and do that. But I can tell you, every one of those pastors, I'm going to say, your number one job is to equip the people to do the work, not you do it. Because that's when you and I experience our faith the most. That's when we grow the most when we're doing it. I am so appreciative in this little tiny church that there's a couple of people that study every week and get prepared for children's ministry on Sunday morning. Whether there's one kid here or there's a hundred kids here, they're ready. I'm so thankful there's a group of young adults that say, hey, we want to invest in youth and we want to be a part of that. And, and they're and they show up and they make plans. I mean, I'm, I'm so appreciative of people that say, like, I want to make sure there's a women's gathering. And it's also, listen, I don't have time. All this. I started working at Universal this week. I'm a security officer, which is a scary thought. <laughs> you know? I, I got three days of work and stuff, and, and just to help out my family and do that. And so I, my intention, my focus is on, like, studying God's word to prepare messages and to look at what we can do to grow. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful. There's a guy that comes. He's here every Sunday morning. He's here on Tuesday night Bible studies. And I'm so thankful. His name is Bob. Bob shows up every single week and sets up chairs for me and cleans the bathrooms and does. So I don't have to do that. Everybody has a job. You have to be all in. That's a fully alive church. That's when that's when we stand out and people take notice. Not a church where everybody's just sitting around and a few people are doing some stuff. My favorite all-time John Wesley quote is this. He says, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. Give me, give me 30 or 40 people who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I don't care whether they're professional pastors or missionaries or just lay people, before they alone will shake the gates of hell. Everybody has a job. Young person, don't let anybody tell you, say, you're too young for that, because that's, I'm, meet a guy named Timothy, who was barely in his 20s that was pastoring a new church. Anybody looks at you and say, well, you may be getting too old for that. Remind them of Abraham and Sarah. <laughs> we all have a job and we all have to be in. And when we are, the world takes notice. I don't ever want to be a church that no one ever not notices. And that may be someday that's going to cause problems for us. I'm ready for it. Come Tuesday nights, hear the story of Revelation as we're going through the rest of it. I'm, I'm more than likely one of those beheaded martyrs underneath the throne. Because, <laughs> you know what? It's always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And when it is, we're different. And when we're different, the world notices. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what it means to be a different church. And that's my prayer for each of us. Let's pray.